We are starting a new series of messages today called Family Matters, and we're going to talk for the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, about this. And next week, Donnie will be bringing a message about mothers, and then the following week, I'll be back and I'll be bringing a message about fathers. Today, we want to talk about children. Now, those of you that have had kids know that nothing changes your life like having a child. Uh, it just seems to be that, that, that there's, there's nothing else in the world that I've ever experienced that rivals uh, the change that comes in your life when you bring a baby home and now that baby is living with you. And uh, it's, it, you think about you're a young married couple and, and you've got, you spend your money a certain way, you make your schedule a certain way, uh, you, you, you just live life a certain way, you do things a certain way, and when you bring a child home, all of that changes immediately. And the thing about bringing a child home is that if, if you don't like the way it's turning out, if, if it, you know, two weeks in you're thinking, man, I really liked the way when it was just me and you before this thing came along and now we have to do all this other stuff, you can't take it back. It's not like a dog. I've known people that have bought dogs and then like, you know, two weeks later, it's like, I didn't know I was going to poop on the carpet. And I'm like, well, it's a dog. That's what they do. And, and then they take it back and, and they just start over and it's like, oh, this never happened. You can't do that with a baby. When that baby wakes you up in the middle of the night, you can't call the hospital up and say, I thought this thing was going to sleep all night as soon as we brought it home. I'm bringing it back to the nursery and let y'all do something with it. It doesn't work that way. So the reality is you have a child, your life is not going to be the same again for 20 years at least. And then at the end of those 20 years, if you try to go back and live like you did before you had the child, you're too tired because <laughs> that child just wore you out. And then you don't have any money left either. And so, so having a child just kind of changes everything in our lives. And then, and then on top of all that, on top of all that, we live as, as, a, as, as adult parents uh, you know, you don't sleep anymore, you eat standing up, you, you take three times as much stuff on vacation, all that kind of stuff. And then on top of all that, there is this fear that we live with where we realize, you know what, I've never done this before, so I'm going to make mistakes. But the thing is, when I make mistakes on this, I'm like doing irreversible damage to this living thing. And it's like, oh, look, I guess what I just said to you, it's going to take three years of therapy for you to overcome. I'm sorry about that. It's my first time being a parent. And so it's just hard. It's a hard job, is it not? I think being a parent is probably the hardest thing there is to do. And, and at least it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. And, and so, but, but there's some such good stuff that God gives us when we're a parent. There is, there's these, there's these blessings that he, that he pours out on us that we're, that when we're a parent, that's really unexplainable. There are things that, that just happen in our heart and in our lives that, that it's one of those things that it's almost like you have to just talk to someone else who's experienced it for them to understand what you're talking about. And, and the thing about this being a parent and, and how children change our lives is, that that's a good thing, but if we're not careful, it can turn into something that it's not supposed to be. There's a verse of Scripture in the book of Psalms, and I want to, I want to read it to you. Psalm 127.3. Now, most of the Psalms, uh, if, maybe you're familiar with this, most of the Psalms were written by a man named David, King David, and, and they're, most of them are like songs like what our band sang today. That's what they were used for worshiping God through music. And so, it's kind of like when you read Psalms, you're kind of like reading through an, a hymnal or a, or a songbook. But this Psalm uh, was, was not written by David. This one was actually written by Solomon. 
who was David's son and who was a great king in his own right. And this is what Solomon said in Psalm 127.3 about children. It says this, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. The the first thing that, that I think we all agree and we understand is true about children is that children are a blessing from God. Children are a blessing from God. I, I don't think there's <clears throat> anybody here who's experienced um, pregnancy, childbirth, and the first few weeks, months of a child's life that, that would stand up and say, oh, there wasn't a whole lot miraculous about that. That's one of those things that as you're going through it, it's one of the most miraculous things that you'll ever experience. I can remember the when Sherry was carrying Emily, our first child, and of course this was all brand new to me, and, and just... When she would say, look, put your hand right here. She, she, we didn't say she because we didn't know. You know, the baby's kicking. The baby, and, and it's like, oh my goodness, there really is something alive in there that's moving around. And I can feel, I can feel that. And it was just amazing. And then, and then later on, just the, the whole process is one of those things that as you're going through it, it's just a miracle. And, and even if you have a child that, that you adopted that you didn't carry yourself and you weren't there for the delivery, that, that's no less miraculous if you think about the journey that that child took to end up in your home. My father was adopted. And uh, to, to listen to him talk about the journey that his life took, and, and later on in life he was able to meet his birth mother and find out where he was born and how she kept him for a year and how he ended up to come live with my grandparents who, who are in Camden and, and how that affected my, my dad's life and he became the man that he is. It's a miracle. So all of this child stuff, from the time they're, they're conceived to the, through the pregnancy to the time they're born through their first few years of life, is just a miracle. There's nothing else that you can say about it. It's got God's hand all over it. I, I, I fail to see how, how someone who calls themselves an atheist can look at childbirth and say there is no God because it's got God all over it. Just to see how it works and how it, com- and how it comes about. And so as we look at that, we understand that children are a blessing from God. And children are, are one of the ways that, that God shows us that He loves us. It's one of the ways that that he just blesses us in our life to say, here's a gift that I'm going to give you. It's going to totally change your life. It's going to be difficult at times, but it's going to bring blessings into your life that you cannot experience any other way. And I'm going to give you this for free. You can have this baby because I love you and I want to bless you with it. And that's one of the ways that, that God blesses us with children is just by showing us his love. And, you know, one of the things that it does too is that it helps us if we're healthy spiritually, and if we're paying attention at all to who God is and what he's trying to do, it will help us to become better parents. I I was, before um, we had children, I was just a pretty selfish dude, and uh, Sherry was a very patient woman to live with me as selfish as I was, And, and, and I can just look back over the years and see through one child and then another child, and as they grew, how God began to strip away that selfishness. And He did that through blessing me with children. And He changed who I am through that blessing, that specific blessing. And, and one of the things that happens is when we, when we have children is that God just, it's like He takes a, a, a cattle iron and, and puts it in hot coals and just brands our heart with a level of love that we never really knew that we could experience. 
You know, as a parent, you, you've never felt sadness like you do when you're experiencing the sadness that your child is experiencing. And you've never felt joy that you feel when you experience the joy that your child is experiencing. There's something that God does that He just brands our hearts with this, with this special type of love. And that, all of that is good. All of that is a blessing. But here's, here's where this thing can go wrong if we're not careful. Because of the fact that we're human. I know that I'm a human. I assume that all of you are humans. And if you are a human, what the thing that we also know about ourselves to be true is there's a verse in Romans, Romans 3.23, that says, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So we're all humans. That means we're all sinful. And then what we will do as sinful humans is we will take a good thing God has blessed us with and we will begin to change it into something that it should not be. See, so what we, do, we tend to do is we tend to worship those things that God gives us. See, children are a blessing from God, but they should never be worshipped as God's. Children are a blessing from God, but they should never be worshipped as God's. Now, I don't believe that there's any one of you in here that when you had a child, that you brought that child home and you set up a religion and, and in the name of your child, that you, you know, set up a, a you know, a tax-free organization now and started collecting donations and you prayed to that child every night, oh, Emily, please bless the family that you have now come into. None of us did that as, as parents. We, we didn't, none of us made a conscious effort to say, I'm going to worship this child as my new idol. I'm going to set up a statue in the front lawn to my oldest son, my oldest daughter, and now we're all going to worship and gather around that thing every day and, and kill animals and make living sacrifices to my child. None of us did that. But somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, we can go from loving our child, which is what God wants us to do, to worshiping our child. And, and that's one of the ways that we as human beings, if you look through history, it's one of the ways that we consistently respond to the blessings of God. We take the good thing He gave us and we make it into our idol. Look, if, if you think about in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible times, God gave, in the Old Testament, He gave something to Moses and to the Israelites. He gave something called the law. It began with the Ten Commandments, and then there was a lot of other things on top of that that were very specific, and it was all from God. It was a blessing from God, just like children are a blessing from God in our lives. He gave this to the people of Israel, and He gave that to them so that it would lead them and point them to Jesus. One day Jesus would come, and that law was bringing them to the point where they could recognize who Jesus was and worship Jesus as the Son of God. But somewhere along the line, there were groups of Israelites who instead of understanding this is a blessing from God that we need to then worship God for, they began to then worship the blessing of God and they made the law into an idol. And you had these groups of people in the New Testament called Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. And Jesus was always button heads with these folks because they were no longer worshiping God who gave the law. They were worshiping the law as God. And we see this today, not just with our children. We see this, we talked about this last week. We talked about how sex has become a God to some people. A blessing, a gift that God gave in sex 
Some people have taken that and they've begun to worship that and they've made sex their idol. You see that with money. People do that all the time with money. Money is a good thing that God's given us to use for His purposes, to do good things to help other people. But what do people do? They take money, they begin to worship money, money becomes their idol, money controls their life, and we can do the exact same thing with our children. That strong love that you have for your child, if you're not careful, that strong love can change into worship. Where now, instead of leading that child, you're allowing that child to lead you because you're worshiping that child as your God, as your false God, as your idol. Even the, even the words of Psalm 127.3, if you look at what those words mean, that, that should warn us about this. It says, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are a reward from Him. That, that word heritage there, that's a Hebrew word that in other places of the Bible is translated as property. And then the word reward in other places of the, of the Old Testament is translated as wages. In other words, what you earn. Now, those are two things that we tend to worship sometimes, aren't they? We tend to worship our property, like our brand new vehicles, our brand new boats, our brand new houses. That's something that becomes an idol in our life. And our wages, you know, if, if you're like me, we all have to be careful that we don't worship those wages. We worship that paycheck when it comes in and that we live our life around that instead of what God wants us to be. And so when, when Solomon says there, sons are a heritage, children are a reward, that's a blessing from God. But there's also a warning in that to say, don't allow that blessing to then become your God. I think another reason that we tend to worship our children is that we see ourselves in our children. And there's no God that we like to worship more than ourselves. That's the false God that most of us like to worship most of all. We make decisions based on what's best for us. We live our lives based on what we want at the moment. And when we do that, we're worshiping ourselves as a false God. And then when we begin to see ourselves in those children, those sweet little children, and we begin to see that they're a lot like us, that they look like us, they talk like us, they say some of the same things. That's another way that we, if we're not careful, we can begin to worship our children. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a hard thing to, a hard line to draw because, let's face it, when you have children, you have to rearrange your life. You have to rearrange everything about your life. You have a special room now that's just theirs. It used to be something else, and now it's painted up, and it's got stuff in there that you never thought you'd own, and that's their room. You've got a special seat now in the car that you've got to put in and take out and move from car to car. Sometimes you have to get a whole new car. If you had like a sweet Camaro or something like that, you can't drive that anymore. You can't put a car seat in that. So now you go to a minivan and you're embarrassed when you go to Lowe's and all that kind of stuff. And so your, your whole life just gets rearranged for this child. And that's okay. You're supposed to rearrange your life for your child. You'd be a jerk if you said, well, we brought this baby home, but we're not going to give him a room because I still need to study. They're just going to sleep on the you know, fold-out couch. We'd turn you into DSS for that. And so you, you rearrange your life. That's what's supposed to happen. But here's the thing. You have to rearrange your life to accommodate your children, but your life shouldn't revolve around your children. You're going you're gonna to rearrange your life. That's natural. But you should never go from, okay, we've rearranged our life to accommodate these children, now to it's all about them. And we make the decisions based on what they want. We make decisions for this family based on who they are and not based on what's best for everybody and what God wants us to do. There, there's several, so many problems that, that arise if we worship our children 
as, as false gods. But, but there's two I want to I point out to you specifically today. The first one is this. If we idolize our children, we won't discipline them. If we idolize our children, we won't discipline them. There's tons of verses in Proverbs, uh, the book um, right after the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Most of it was written by Solomon, the same guy who wrote the psalm that we're, we're dealing with today. And uh, there's tons of verses in Proverbs that talk about disciplining your children. The most famous one that you probably know, even if you've never been to church, is spare the rod, spoil the child, right? And, that's, and we're not even going to talk about that verse. It's a good verse. All the verses are good. But the reason we're not going to talk about it is because there's some of you in here that you grew up in a household where you had a parent that used that verse as an excuse to abuse you. And so you hear that and you automatically, you know, you, you bow up at that because it's like, man, daddy would say that. And next thing I know, I was getting smacked across the face with a belt, right? And so, so we're not going to talk about that verse, but there's a, there's tons of good verses about discipline. And here's one that I think is, is that we can see in a more positive light. And it says this, discipline your son for in that there is hope. And see, it's a positive thing. Do not be a willing party to his death. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. See, when you discipline your child, you're doing that for that child's good, and you're also doing that for the, for the good of society. That discipline is a positive thing. But if you're worshiping that child as your God, you don't discipline them, because we don't tell our gods what to do. Our gods tell us what to do, Right? We live based on what they want. We don't want to do anything to anger them or to upset them. And so when you get to a point in your life where you're afraid to discipline your child because you're afraid of what they might think of you, you're afraid that you might make them angry, you have gone from parenting to worshiping. And if we worship our child as a false idol, we will not discipline them. And then as we, as we fail to do that, we think we might be doing something that's good for them, but in fact, we are setting them up for failure. Because it says there, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Well, think about the opposite of that. If there's hope in disciplining your son, then what does it say if you don't discipline your son? Well, then there's very little hope. There's very little hope for the child that you refuse to discipline. Uh, you know, when um, I think about, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my dog. And um, I can't even believe that I'm saying the words, my dog, uh, because before we got this dog, I was like, as y'all's dog, y'all deal with that dog. I don't want nothing to do with that dog. That was my whole thing. But now I do. I love that dog. And uh, when he dies one day, I'll probably cry. And so I, um, we've got this dog, Buddy, who's a poodle, a little brown poodle. Those of you who've been in our life groups before that meet at our house, y'all know that Buddy loves people and uh, he, he gets all excited when people come over. And, uh, and I, we'll take the dog out uh, to use the bathroom on a leash. And uh, there's a place that I'll take him to, and he'll want to go up this hill, and there's briars at the top of that hill. And without fail, he wants to go directly into the briars every time because he's a dumb dog. And <clears throat> so here's what I have to do. To keep Buddy from going into the briars, he's on a leash. I just gently tug at the leash. Now, I don't jerk it, you know, and make him, his head snap back. I just gently tug at it, and he, he doesn't go there. Why? Because when I gently tug at that leash, it's uncomfortable for him. And I'm helping change his direction. 
He's going one direction, and I gently tug at that, and I change his direction. Sometimes, I don't know what your dog when he goes, does when he goes to the bathroom, but he has to walk around in circles for about 45 minutes. And so sometimes he'll go back to that spot. And so what do I do again? I gently tug at that leash. Why? Because I don't want him to go in the briars. There has been a time where I wasn't paying attention, and he got stuck in the briars. So what did I have to do? I had to go up there and pull him off. There was hair hanging in the briars when it was done, and it was painful for him. So what I was trying to do is give him a little bit of discomfort to save him from a lot of discomfort. And that's what discipline is for our children. Discipline is giving your, your child small, controlled doses of discomfort now in order to prevent a lifetime of discomfort later. And so every time that, that you withhold, and, and you know that child needs a spanking, right? Because spare the rod, spoil the child is a real true verse, by the way. You don't have to abuse your child, but a pop on the rear end never, would never you know, send any child to the hospital if done the right way. And so you, you know this child needs a spanking, and you refuse to do it because you don't want to cause them any pain. You don't want to cause them any discomfort. Well, guess what you're setting them up for? You're setting them up for a lifetime of discomfort later on. Because one day they're going to grow up, hopefully, move out of your house, definitely, and when they do, they're going to get their own job. And if they've never been disciplined, guess what their boss is going to have to do? Their boss is going to have to discipline them for you because you didn't do the job. And you know how the boss is going to discipline them? He's going to fire them and send them home. And then they're going to be out of a job. But it could have started with you dosing out just small amounts of discomfort now to save them a lifetime of discomfort later. You know, there's a, uh, I was thinking about this worshiping our, our kids and thinking about how we're afraid to discipline our kids. And I thought of a, a, a praise chorus that we haven't sang for a while that I think we think this about our kids. There's a, there's a song, remember, I am a friend of God. Remember that? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. If your child is your God, what do you want them to be? You want them to be your friend. I'll never forget one time sitting, listening to a grown woman who had a 16-year-old son, and she said, he's just my best friend. And I thought to myself, first of all, that's sick. Second of all, your child doesn't need you to be his friend. Your child needs you to be his mother. He needs you to be his parent. He's not supposed to be your friend now. My dad just turned 70 years old a couple weeks ago, and I can tell you today that my dad is one of my best friends. But the reason my dad is one of my best friends now is because when I was 16 and 17 years old, my dad wasn't concerned about being my friend. My dad was concerned about making sure I did what I was supposed to do. And he made decisions regularly that I did not like. We had conversations regularly that I thought he was an idiot. And today, as a grown man, he's 70 years old, I'm in my 40s, I recognize the fact that we can be friends because he disciplined me when I was 16 and I was 17. He wasn't trying to be my best friend. Now he can be my friend. Second thing, if, if, if we idolize our children, that happens. If we idolize our children we will demonize someone else. If we idolize our children, we will demonize someone else. Now this, this idea is maybe brand new to you. 
And, uh, and this, this was something really that, that we're, I'm doing a life group, a, a men's life group, and uh, we're just about to finish it up, and we're reading a, a book about doctrine, about theology and, and things. And this was an idea that came out of that reading of that, and I realized, oh my gosh, this is true. That anything in our life that we worship as a false god, it, 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 no matter what it is, whether it's our children or anything else, anything that tries to oppose that, we demonize. We say that that thing is evil. For example, before we start talking about kids, political parties. If you idolize your political party, whether it's Republican or Democrat, then it's natural that the next thing you're going to do is you're going to demonize the other political party. Because they're trying to stop what your false God is doing. And so anything that stands in the way of your false God, you will declare that thing to be an enemy. I see it in people's life when it comes to if their false God is success or making money. Anybody that they see standing in the way of that, somebody that says to them, hey, maybe you ought to take a little more time off and spend it with your family. Well, they're just an idiot. They're trying to stand in the way of me providing for my family. They don't know what they're talking about. And so what do we do? My false God is money. So anyone that tries to stand in the way of me making as much of that as I can, then they're evil. I have to demonize them. I have to make them into an enemy. And this happens all the time in the lives of our children. And those of you that are teachers, you know this, because most of the time you're the one that is demonized by some parents. Now, I've heard it, I could stand, I did youth ministry for a long time before, before we started this church, and I could just quote you chapter and verse from parents who came into my office, who talked to me, and they would say things like, can you believe that my child got written up for tardies? That teacher is just too strict. He's going to be a little bit late. That's because that child, that parent, had made their child into a false idol. And so what do you have to do when you make your child into a false idol? Where you demonize anybody that gets in the way of that. Or the person that would say to me, you know, to their child who got suspended from school. Well, that principal's always had it out for him since the day he started at that school. That principal never liked him. He was just looking for an opportunity to suspend him. Or coaches, good night. Coaches get it worse than anybody. I can't believe that he's starting somebody else over my child. Everybody knows my child's better. No, the coach is not starting your child because he can't shoot the three and he doesn't play defense. Everybody knows that. But what we do is when we worship our child and we make the child into a, a false god, we make the child into our idol, then what we have to do is we have to demonize everybody that stands in the way of that. And, and listen, I'm about to get all up in your business, so get ready. The, the, uh, uh, there's a big one out there, and it has to do with which high school your child goes to. If your child goes to a certain high school, you go to the football game and you sit in the stands, you talk about, oh, all those kids over there, they're a bunch of this and they're a bunch of that, and I can't believe them. I'm so glad my kid doesn't go to that school. And you know what you're doing? You're demonizing something else because you're worshiping your child and you're worshiping what your child does down on that field. Because think about it. These are kids that would go to your school if they just lived 10 minutes in another direction. But now you're demonizing them. Why? Because you've made your child into a false god. And then the most dangerous place that this happens, which I've seen happen over the years, is it can happen between two parents, where one parent demonizes the other parent because that parent worships the child and the other parent wants to discipline the child. And so it becomes, you can't talk to him like that. You can't talk to her like that. How dare you do this to them? How dare you do this? And they're not working together 
Instead, one has demonized the other because one has a worship problem. One is worshiping that child and not parenting that child. Our children are blessings, but they should never be worshipped as gods. There's a, there's a verse in Romans that reminds us the real order that things are supposed to go in. Romans 8.16, it says this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, if you're worshiping your child as a false god, this is not just a family issue in your family. What this is, this is, this is really a what you believe about God issue. Because the way God has set things up is that He's the authority, we're all His children, and then as parents, He blesses us with children so that then we can teach them about proper authority. We can show them, I live under God's authority, you live under my authority, and God has placed me in authority over you, and so that one day you will be able to live under God's authority on your own. But if we reverse that and we begin to worship the child, then what we're saying is, is that you're equal with God. I do what you want before I do what God wants. And then that child grows up, moves out of your house, and they begin to think that they can do whatever it is they want to do and, and they can live their life that way. And so, it's a, and, and so what we've done is, is that we have, we have helped our children to, to understand that, that God is not who He said. When we make children the center of our world, we are teaching them to rebel against God. That's what we're teaching them. When we begin to worship them, we're teaching them that God, you know, God says He's in authority, but really you can do whatever you want, and we're teaching them to rebel. So i got a series of questions I would ask you that maybe you want to write down and think about later on, and maybe you and your, your spouse can have a real conversation about this. And I know there are some of you that are, that are raising kids that you're, you're now divorced and, and you're here and, and the other parent's another place. And I know that's an even more difficult thing. But if, you know, even if you can have some conversation with them, it would be good. But, but Mike, you know, the first question just to ask you just honestly and outright is, are you guilty of this? Do you, could you people look at you and say that you worship your child? Are you afraid to discipline your child? Do you find yourself saying, well, you know, I'm afraid to make them do this because then I might lose them. Afraid to do this because then they might get upset with me. Are you afraid to discipline your child? Do you always assume that your child is right and everybody else who's opposed to them, teacher, coach, principal, police officer, that they're wrong, but your child is right? Do you put your kids before your spouse? Do the needs of your children come before the needs of your marriage? See, what happens when you do that is those kids leave. And one day it's just you and her, you and him. And if you've spent the last 20, 30 years putting their need, your husband or wife's need on the back burner so that you could put your child's need first, then when they're gone, you don't know how to react to each other anymore. You don't know how to live. You don't know how to date because it's all been about them and now they're gone. There are ten commandments that God gave in the Old Testament. He could have given as many as he wanted. He could have given a thousand commandments and Moses would have just had to make a lot more trips up and down the mountain with the stone tablets. But he gave ten. And out of all ten, 
Did you realize there's only one of those commandments that has a promise tagged onto the end of it? Now, all, there's tons of promises in Scripture, and they all apply to us. But when God was given the Ten Commandments, He said, I just want you to remember, if you can't remember anything else, just remember these ten things about how you should live. And out of all those ten, He just chose to put a promise on the end of one of them. And the one He chose to put a promise on the end of is in Exodus 20.12, and it says this, Honor your father and your mother. That's the commandment. And then He tags the promise on the end. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Your child is a blessing from God. One of the greatest blessings you'll ever receive. And if you will keep the proper line of authority that God set up, God first, then you, then you teach that child how to obey God. That's what God has set up. If you will keep that in line, then what you are doing is you are setting up your child to obey this commandment. You're setting them up for success. You're setting them up to honor you, to honor your spouse. And when you set them up for success, then you're setting them up to receive that promise so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I think that as, as we get ready to, to finish up here, just want you to think about your kids, your marriage, and try to think about it honestly. Because, like I said at the beginning, it's a very fine line between I love this child like crazy because God's blessed me with them, and it's a fine line to cross over into now I'm worshiping that child and my life revolves around that child. It's a fine line between I have to make accommodations, my life has to change for this child, to my life is revolving around that child. So think about the way you've lived. Think about what you've done. And there, you might have to go home and tell your child, listen, you've been the center of my world. It ain't going to be that way anymore, Jack. Get ready. Things are changing. I don't know. Whatever you need to do. You know, last year you got a bunch of stuff for Christmas. Next year you're getting an orange and a stocking, and that's it. Do what ha- just do what has to be done. Because what's at stake here, what's at stake here is the lives of your children, the sanctity of your marriage, and your relationship with God. Some pretty big stuff. Pretty big stuff at stake. So I'm going to pray for us. I want you to um, think about whether your children are your false God or whether you've got something else in your life that's a false God. Because your God needs to be Jesus. And you need to give your life to Him. And if you're living for anything else, you're going to find out that it's going to leave you empty and hopeless. If you give your life to Jesus, He's going to fill you up and He's going to give you a direction, give you a hope, give you a future. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our children. Thank you for the blessing that they are. Thank you for the love that that we feel in our hearts towards them. The strong desire that we have to see them be successful. We know that all those are good things that come from you. I pray that you would help all of us to not put anything else before you, whether it's our children or our jobs, uh, whatever it might be. You are supreme. You are the leader. And we want to follow you today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. I thank you for the folks that are here today that came out in bad weather. 
to hear your word, to worship together with their friends. And I pray that you would bless them for their time that they spent here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.